Can we be seated now? I think it's time for the children to be going to Children's Church. My name is Bob Noble. I'm one of the elders here, and once again, I have the privilege of being able to uh, introduce the speaker for this morning. And uh, your bulletin says it's Reverend Dr. Rich Noble. I just call him Rich. But uh, anyway, as I have shared before, uh, Rich has, uh, is currently serving in the uh, Elgany Center Alliance Church, uh, primarily in uh, a variety of missions uh, work and outreach, also involved in ministry at their uh, homestead campus, and uh, Rich has a real passion for uh, missions. In fact, uh, two or three years ago, he wrote a book. I happened to have a copy of it, On Mission Together, and uh, that's not the purpose of his uh, speaking today, but I'm sure he'd be happy to talk with you uh, about that later on. So may I introduce you to Richard Noble. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, he's not Bob, he's Dad. Always has been. Well, good morning, church. It is a good morning. I, I'm not as convinced anymore. It is a good morning, right? There we go. That's a little better. So uh, it is always good to be here at my home church. Uh, I did grow up here, and that was too many years ago that we don't need to talk about. Uh, and some of you knew me when, and we don't need to talk about that either. So it is always good to be here. You also uh, may know I'm pretty involved with Ukraine, and we have a ministry partnership in Ukraine at Allegheny Center Alliance Church. Let me just give you a quick update. Some of you follow that pretty regularly, but I wanted to give you a quick update uh, in terms of some very up-to-the-moment, not prayer requests, but prayer requests and notes of praise. Uh, one, some of you knew of uh, one of our Ukrainian pastors who was taken captive a few months ago, and uh, he was ultimately released but beat up pretty badly. He has a broken arm, some sores on his legs. He's been evacuated. He actually left Ukraine by waves of Russia to get to another neighboring country where he has been receiving medical care and is already planting churches. Uh, he's a church, you can't keep this guy down. Uh, Pastor A, he's already planting churches with Ukrainian refugees in the country where he is living. That's, that's word I just got a couple days ago, so that's pretty cool. You should also know that our international workers that uh, were evacuated from Ukraine are heading back there, sort of. Uh, one couple is leaving right now. In fact, they should be boarding their plane right now in California to fly to Poland, where they'll be for a couple weeks and hopefully get back to Kiev. But that's always depends on what's going on there. Uh, another couple from western Pennsylvania, actually, uh, they will be leaving 
he will be leaving in a couple of weeks to return to, actually they're not returning to Ukraine, they're going to northern Germany to work with Ukrainian refugees until their home assignment next year. And his wife will join him in September. So you can be praying for uh, Mike and Joanne leaving today and Stephen Crick who uh, will be leaving shortly. I could give you a whole lot more, but that's not why I'm here either. If you want to know more, I'd be glad to speak with you following the service about that. But I did want to give you that update and thank you for your prayers and your investment over the years in Russia and Ukraine as a congregation. But we're here focusing on the Lord today and all of what he's been doing and everything he's about, everything we've been singing about leading up to this moment. Our worship continues by interacting with his word together and I want us to think for a moment about the world we live in. It's not hard to do, because all you got to do is turn on the news, turn on the radio, check out the internet, just look around outside your front door, and you see that our world is missing something. It's missing hope, or at least it seems that way. Because when we turn on the news and when we look around at what's happening, what we end up seeing is corruption at all levels. We end up seeing injustice and evil expressing itself in different ways all over the world. It doesn't have to be somewhere else on the other side of the world. It doesn't even have to be in the city of Pittsburgh. It happens in our own little communities of which we are part. I know it does in mine, and I can say with absolute confidence that it does in yours as well. Some communities do a little better hiding it than others, but it is happening. And then I want you to think about how the world is not that much different from a couple thousand years ago in the grand scheme of things, and really in the whole history of mankind, because nothing changes in many respects. In our text this morning in Luke chapter 1, we'll be exploring together the very first Christmas carol. Yes, it's Christmas in July today. Fitting, appropriate. Every day is Christmas, really. Every day is Easter, really. Every Sunday, every time we gather together, we're declaring the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And so we're exploring that today in the middle of your series that Pastor Mark has been taking you through on the attributes of God. And we're going to see some of those attributes leap out of the text with us this morning. This world that we live in is very much the same kind of world that Mary lived in. And this Christmas carol that we call the Magnificat, was her response to what was happening around her and to the news that she was given. And it's, it's a very powerful song. Let, let, me, let me share with you insights from the ages on, on what this song is all about. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, instructed missionaries in poverty-stricken India never to read the words of this Christmas song in public because of taken out of context the inflammatory words could cause riots in the streets. I, did we sing any songs like that today? 
Have you, have you guys teamed up and written any songs like that? You know, the kind of songs where it's kind of like, yeah, you don't, don't sing this in, the, in this neighborhood because. But that's what the Archbishop of Canterbury once said. Uh, e. Stanley Jones, a Methodist preacher and scholar, described it this way. He says, this song is the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. William B. Well, actually, I'm not sure that the W in WB is William, but W.B. Sheridan, a Baptist pastor, described it this way. He said, within the words of this song, one sniffs the powder of dynamite. This is not just some pretty Christmas carol that we're going to hear in a few months. Yeah, that's going to be coming up pretty soon. We have the back-to-school sales now. As soon as that's done, we'll have a little bit of Halloween that starts in August. And then it's going to be full-blown Christmas. And actually, we're going to start seeing Christmas in about September, right? Before we know it, we're going to be hearing our songs played on, played on the radio and sung by people who are not yet believers and followers of Jesus. And yet they'll be singing our songs. They won't be singing this song necessarily. But this is a powerful song. This is a very powerful... Scott McKnight, a, a New Testament scholar and theologian, described it this way. He says, If we read the Magnificat as the heartfelt release of a woman yearning for what God was finally about to do in Israel and in historical context, we see it all as a call to subvert unjust leaders. To turn this song into simple spirituality strips it of its meaning and leaves injustices personified by... Caesar Augustus and Herod the Great on the throne. Her words, McKnight continues, move beyond the personal exaltation of a poor pregnant woman. They are a declaration on the order of Luther pinning his 95 theses to the door from a voice at the bottom of society. It is a voice crying from the depths of God's Messiah was finally bringing justice for the poor, such as Mary, Simeon, and Anna. It is a voice proclaiming a new order, an order centered on her son, the one who would save his people from their sins. McKnight continues, if we want to enter the world of the real Mary that first Christmas, listen once again to her song in the context of Herod the Great. Herod, we might recall, had assassinated members of his own family for anything that even smelled of treachery. That same Herod had taxed Israel, felt more by the poor than by anyone else beyond its means. Hear her words in that context. They are words of subversion, words that reveal why unjust rulers might worry over their public recitation, words that tell the first Christmas story. With that in mind, before we open God's word, and as we open God's word, let's go to the giver of this word in prayer. Most gracious and holy and loving and faithful God, we're about to read a portion of your word, and we're going to spend some time discussing it briefly. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand would you cause this portion of your word to come alive to us in a way that it just blows our minds, quite frankly? Help us to look at a familiar passage in a slightly different light, perhaps. 
and take this portion of your word and cause it to grow deep in our souls so that it would be deeply rooted but also cause it to bear fruit in our lives our lives personally but also our lives corporately as your people this is our prayer this morning as we approach your word and we ask it all in the name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us and among us amen Where we are this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And I want to just streamline that context even more. If you look back at the first part of chapter 1, you know that this Mary, a young teenage girl, is visited by an angel and told that she was hand-selected, hand-chosen, hand-picked by God to bear a son, to bear the Savior of the world. We also know she wasn't married yet. A bit controversial. Just just a little bit. But we know that in the next few verses that she not only accepts this and willingly steps into it, but to kind of protect herself in her village, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth little family reunion who, who was herself about six months pregnant with somebody that we would later know as John the Baptist. And, and when Mary arrived with her pre-born son, Elizabeth and John, whom she was carrying, recognized who Mary was pregnant with and what did they do? What did John do? He leapt within her and, and Elizabeth blesses Mary and confirms that what the angel told Mary would indeed happen. So keeping all of this context in mind, the kind of world that Mary lived in, the kind of situation that she was directly impacted by, hear the word of the Lord. Remember, Elizabeth is saying, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. And this is how Mary responded. She said, oh, How my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. This is the word of the Lord. Let the words of this song, of this portion of God's word, let that sink in for a moment. Hear Mary singing this song of worship in the midst of 
a very difficult situation. Hear Mary's response, a song of worship that contains words of humility, but also words of passionate language, passionate confidence. Confidence in who? Confidence in the living God. Her act of worship actually shows the two sides of Mary. On the one hand, we have the humble Mary, the humble, the, the Mary we usually think of. Oh, all quiet and kept and nice and dainty, and oh, she bore a son and all of these things. And, and it's right to think of her that way because it's seen in how she lived. And it's seen even in this song of worship, the, these humble thoughts that exalt and praise the Lord. Thoughts that are presented in form and, and in the language of the Jewish psalm with echoes of Old Testament praise. But see, there's another side to Mary reflected in the song. The radical Mary. The Mary who has words of power. She's not just a meek, quiet woman. She's a woman who knows of what she speaks. She's a woman with absolute confidence to speak words of power and expectation for the Lord to act in a very noticeable way. That's the Mary who's singing this song in the midst of circumstances that can any of us even begin to describe it? The kind of situation she lived in. And yet she was praising God. Why? Why would such a song come out of her mouth? Why would that be generated in her heart? Well, there are some personal reasons and there are some general reasons that we see within these words. She had personal reasons. She was thankful for what God had done for her. She's a humble servant. A humble servant of God who would now be blessed and honored by all generations. That's, that's a heavy mantle. That, that's, that's a heavy load to take upon yourself. A teenage girl in some remote village. Generations are going to bless you. You're You're huge. And yet she was humble about it. She kept that humility. But she had those personal reasons, but she also had the general reasons. What were they? What do we see here? We see the recognition that God acts for his people. And it's seen in how God is described here. He is described as powerful and holy and merciful and faithful. In this passage, we are given a message of hope in a world where we are not often given a reason to hope. And yet here it is. But look again at how Mary responded to her situation in a time and condition that seemed to be just as hopeless as our situations can sometimes be. And remember that she willingly obeyed God by taking on the responsibility of bearing a child as a young woman who was not yet married. Again, absolutely scandalous in her situation, in her society. And yet, she embraced it. She leaned hard into it. She embraced it and, and 
took on the call and entered into God's story in a way that we can only begin to imagine. And she worshipped the Lord, even when much of the world would be against her. She had every right to say no. She had every right to say, oh man, i got to go into hiding now. Oh man, I, ooh, what have I gotten myself into? She had every right to wallow in despair and have everybody focus on her situation, or rather focus away from her situation. But she didn't do that, did she? She embraced it. She worshipped the Lord. Even if she was going to be the only one, that was what she would do. Which raises then the question, what about us? What about you? Are you catching the hope in Mary's song? Are you able, in the midst of your circumstances, and I don't know what your circumstances are in particular, I know what my circumstances are, but we all know the circumstances of our communities, and we know the circumstances in our nation, and we know the circumstances in this world. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the evil working itself out on a daily basis, are you, <clears throat> are you able to worship as Mary did? Are you able to worship with hope rather than lament and despair? <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about that. What was driving Mary to do this? Why worship? What are the reasons? Again, I direct you back to the text that we read. <clears throat> and what we see here is a beautiful picture of God. And this picture of God should drive us to our knees in worship, just as Mary did. God is powerful, isn't he? We see it throughout the scriptures, and we see it in this song, in these verses. God is powerful. He is the mighty one who has done incredible things. Mary says that he has scattered the proud and godless people and brought down rulers and kings, pronouncing judgment on them for their injustices toward his people and those whom they politically oppressed and economically forced into poverty. God is powerful. The, the language that she uses here metaphorically describes the work that would be done by Jesus, the one whom she carried the one who would bring God's kingdom into reality, and the one who would pronounce God's judgment on the proud, on the <clears throat> wealthy, on the unjust rulers. Put all of those together. Proud, unjust, wealthy rulers. The people who were personified here in Herod the Great and Caesar Augustus. And we know historically, we know that as we read through scriptures that this isn't the only time that the Lord has done this. He had done it before. He would do it again in and through Jesus. God is powerful. He's not bound by what people do. The rich and famous and the rich and powerful do not have the last word. We need to be reminded of that sometimes because sometimes it seems like they've got it all. And I'm not slamming people who have money and wealth. But it is a slam against those who put their trust in money and wealth over a powerful God. It's a matter of where your devotion lies. And here, 
is a reference to the people whose devotion lied in everything else but God. It was all about their position, all about their power, all about their money. But God is not bound by that. In fact, what we consistently read through the scriptures is that the poor and the oppressed would be vindicated by God himself. So when we read through Mary's song, the Magnificat, ultimately what we see here is a statement that God always wins. God always wins. And God's kingdom is very different from the kingdoms of man. God is powerful, but God is also holy. We see that in this passage. God is holy. He's perfect. He's pure. He's completely full of honor. He's not made in our image. We're made in his image. He is no mere baby in a manger. He's not just a man on a cross. He is God. And he must be feared and properly respected and worshipped accordingly. Writer Tywig Stevenson says it this way. He says that a God I can lead around on a leash isn't much of a deity. To fasten that chain around, I have to shrink him down to a manageable size. The fundamental dilemma here is that, A, God cannot be leashed, which means, B, that the scrawny little rodent I've got collared to my agenda is not, in fact, God. And worst of all, C, the real deity is standing right behind me and is not super thrilled with my dancing monkey God show. The goodness of God, Stevenson continues, is so alien in its holiness that human life must encounter it in awestruck fear and perhaps something resembling terror and horror. We are left with a God who in no way may be domesticated. God is powerful. God is holy. God is full of mercy. Let that one sink in for a moment. And then let the people say amen. Because I don't know about you, but I kind of depend on God's daily mercies. And I depend on his grace and his faithful love. Despite our unholy humanness, God is full of love. God loves us and he extends his grace to us and extends his mercy to those who fear him, to those who embrace him alone as God. And then that speaks even further to his justice as God. And this is seen in his dealings with his people throughout the whole history of humankind. We see it recorded in the scriptures how he dealt with Israel and, and his people, their deliverance from Egypt, their provision in the wilderness as they wandered around for 40 years. We see it in their deliverance from their enemies. We see it reflected in Hannah's song, which is very similar to Mary's song here in Luke 1. If you want to read later, I'll refer you to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We see the same things rehearsed throughout many of the Psalms. God is full of mercy. He always has been. And we see it not just in the scriptures, but throughout the history of the church. We see it throughout the history of this church that we call Dorseyville Alliance Church. I know, I grew up here. I've seen God's mercy. Some of you have been part of this church Maybe even from the very beginning. And you have seen God's mercy time and time again. And you have seen his faithful love. And you have seen his grace. 
If God wasn't that way, we wouldn't be sitting here. God is powerful. He is holy. He is full of mercy. And God is faithful. Again, let the people say amen to that because we are so unfaithful. Sometimes we're more faithful than in other times. But out of his love for us, out of his grace and his mercy, God remains faithful because he's true to his word. God is a covenant-keeping God. He is a covenant keeper. He is faithful and loving to those who fear him. He is faithful and loving. He remembers his eternal covenant made with Abraham and his offspring, and he continues what he started. God is faithful, and he can always be trusted. My dear friends, this is the God we worship. This is the God we've gathered to praise and sing to. This is the God whom we pray to. This is the God who is eternally powerful and holy and full of mercy and faithful to his people. And guess what? He never changes. God never, ever, ever changes. This is the same God with the same qualities that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and the prophets knew and worshipped. This is the same God that Elizabeth and Mary worshipped. Knowing this God, knowing this God and being part of his people ought to drive us to the unexpected place of renewed hope in a chaotic and desperate world. And we should also be driven to our knees in worship, just as Mary did, to give honor and thanks to the one true living God. So let me ask you, does Mary's song capture you this way? Does it capture you this way? Is this truly the God you worship? May it be so. May, may the God who became human in the person of Jesus, may he take you to deeper and deeper realities of faith and relationship with him as the baby born of Mary makes himself known to you and to the world. Most gracious, all-powerful, most holy, ever faithful and merciful God. Again, we ask that you would take these reminders from Scripture, this declaration of praise, and drive it deep into our souls, causing it to take deep, deep root, but also causing it to bear amazing fruit that multiplies so that we may be a people who flourish, not from the doings of our own things, but because of what you have done and continue to do in our lives. This is our prayer. We ask it in the name of Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us and among us. Amen. God is good. And I, we're closing with worship, so there's an opportunity to sing some more.
as we were looking at um, Mary's hope in the Lord, despite the circumstances and, you know, the context that she was within, that comes from looking towards Jesus. 